efficient. My goodness, where are we? What are we doing? I don't even know. I'm not ready. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Are people excited? How, do we have any 49er fans? One. Two, there we go. My husband would stand in solidarity with you. He's a huge 49ers fan. Um, Kansas City? Okay, a little competition. And then we have our third team, Taylor Swift. All right, all right, we got the Taylor Swift team here. Well, we're not talking about any of that this morning. We're going to talk about the real MVP, which is Jesus. <laughs> we're all team Jesus. I love that. So there are some pretty wonderful stories about Jesus in the Bible. Stories where he heals people who are sick. He offers kindness and love to the marginalized. He's patient gracious and understanding, all of these great qualities that we wouldn't mind having in our own lives. But there is an emotional depth, an internal strength to Jesus that I think we sometimes miss. And where I remember first noticing it is from a story in the Bible in the book of Matthew. And right after Jesus had gone out, he'd done all these amazing things in his ministry. He had done all these incredible things for people. This is where his story begins to turn dark. So here's what happened. One of Jesus' best friends decided to betray him for some money. And because of that betrayal, Jesus was arrested as an innocent man. He gets brought to court for questioning, and while he's there, some men who just want to see Jesus die, they go out and they find people to come into court and give false testimonies about Jesus. I want you to picture that in your mind. Jesus sitting there. He knows he's innocent. They know he's innocent. And they're telling lie after lie after lie about who Jesus is. How would you respond in that situation? If your coworkers were gossiping about you to your boss and it was gonna cost you your job. If your friends posted something on social media that was horrible about you, or they spread rumors about you at school and it completely destroyed your reputation. How would you respond? Often what we want to do is we want to power up. We want to fight back. We want to bring justice and we want to clear our name. But what if there's something more important than defending ourselves? Here's how Jesus responds. It tells us in Matthew 26, verse 63, he remained silent. That's kind of weird. And in an already hostile situation, that silence cranks up the heat. And here's what we read. It says, then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, blasphemy, why would we need any other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What's your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. And they began to spit in Jesus' face, beat him with their fists, and some slapped him. What we want to see happen right at that moment, is Jesus bust out his kung fu panda moves and knock some people around. We want him to get control of the situation like Chuck Norris. We want the hero to deliver justice and then go sit on his throne where he belongs. And truthfully, that's what the Jewish people thought Jesus was going to do. They thought he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. But that wasn't his plan. Instead, in a time of extreme tension, he exemplifies incredible depth by remaining calm, controlling his emotions, and keeping a clear mind. What we see in Jesus is a deep sense of self-control. And this self-control is what guides him through some of the most difficult moments in his entire life so that he can bring glory to God. See, self-control is the ability to always choose the important thing rather than the urgent thing. Let me say that again. Self-control is the ability to always choose the important thing rather than the urgent thing. Having self-control can move us towards freedom, healthier relationships, improve decision-making, develop self-confidence, and allow us to truly come to life in the way Jesus intended. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And now I'm personally convinced that if you want to see any of those happen in your life, any of those fruit, the place you have to start is by developing self-control. If you want more patience, you have to use self-control when you're feeling impatient. If you want to see more love flow out of your life, you need to use self-control with people who are hard to love. If you want more peace, you need to use self-control to not overcommit yourself. But you don't just wake up one morning with a maximum level of self-control. It's something that we have to develop. And there's a great possibility that Jesus did too. I mean, sure, he could have been born with all the self-control he would ever need in this life. He was fully God and fully human. But what we're going to look at today is how after Jesus was baptized, he was led to the wilderness where it required him to demonstrate a deep level of self-control. And from his time there, we can learn to develop self-control in our own lives as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, as it leads us through our own wilderness while revealing God and his greater plan. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here with us this morning. 
There's actually a number of things that have happened this morning that have made me go, I think you're up to something. And that is so encouraging because we need you. There's nothing more important in this life than knowing who you are and what it means for our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Speak to us. Help us to respond to you. Help us to look more like Jesus this morning. Amen. All right, we are going to be reading in the uh, book of Luke. So if you want to grab a Bible, you can grab one on the seat in front of you. We're in Luke 4, 1 through 15. And here is what we read. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, I will, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So where do we start if we want to see more self-control in our lives? We start with the Holy Spirit. That is why there's nothing in the gospel about trying harder or earning your salvation. So when I started to work on this message and I was reflecting on self-control, I noticed that my mind actually kept drifting towards self-discipline. These are two different things. Self-discipline, which can kind of lead you towards that trying harder mentality, is not a fruit of the Spirit. Discipline is about fostering habits in our lives that lead us towards health. But self-control is about having an internal control, a suppression that can only come with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's not about us making a plan of action to get ourselves on track. And in Galatians, where it talks about evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit produces more of these in our lives. And we can see that in the passage today with Jesus heading into the wilderness. We develop self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So verse one of our passage, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the desert. When we become Christian, a follower of Jesus, by asking God to come into our lives, we are given the Holy Spirit to be our guide. It's God's presence and power within us wherever we go. And this is what it makes me think of. When I was growing up, I played a video game with my brothers called Zelda. Anybody? There, there's Zelda. So Zelda has a fairy named Navi. And I was looking it up as I was working on this message, and Navi is actually taken from the word navigation. And so anytime Zelda is walking into um, like a new situation, new territory, he's going into battle, or he has some sort of confusing situation happening in front of him, Navi pops up and says, hey, listen. And Navi then gives some instruction for Zelda, some key insights as he's going into this situation. When we become a follower of Jesus, we get a way better version of Navi. In Titus 3, 4 through 7, it says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. When we say yes to following Jesus, we're given the Spirit to be our guide through this life. And there's nothing we do to earn it. It's just part of the gift. It's part of the package. And now in Zelda, you can have Navi and not use Navi. We can have the Holy Spirit and not use it. Jesus, Jesus shows us that when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, in order to use it, we have to listen and respond. Self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit comes in our lives as we hear and obey. We're told in the beginning of the passage that Jesus was full of the Spirit leaving the Jordan. At the Jordan River, Jesus had just been baptized. And scripture says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice called out, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. We get to see this beautiful picture of the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together united in a moment of baptism. And this step not only anoints Jesus as he's moving forward into his ministry and his mission, but it speaks to his identity, and it reminds him of the family that he truly belongs to. That's because baptism is an act of obedience in submission to God. It's saying to the world that you're in and you're committed to following Jesus. Baptism is our opportunity to hear and obey. And then Jesus hears the leading of the Holy Spirit again out into the wilderness. He hears and obeys. 
So what does any of this have to do with self-control? It's about submission of the will. Developing self-control in our lives happens when we give our desires over to the will of God. Hearing the Holy Spirit and doing what it says is how we hand over our will. Has anyone here seen the movie Elemental? Yes, a few head nods. So Ember is the main character in the movie. There she is. And she's the element fire. Now Ember struggles with explosive anger. And throughout the movie, she's actually at war within herself to try to gain control over her fire-burning anger. Because it is blowing up in the most inconvenient moments, and it's destroying things around her. It's destroying her relationships. And I cannot tell you how much I personally relate to Ember. Uh, maybe, maybe you do too, and I don't even need to share my story. <laughs> so growing up, I have always struggled with lashing out in anger. And I thought that as I got older, I would care less about the little things that made me blow up and be angry and blow the anger fire all over. And what I found was as I got older, Instead of getting control of my anger, my anger actually got control of me. And so it wouldn't always happen in a, in a way that would, would be all over everything, but I actually got better at aiming my fire, and I could really hurt people. But as I grew in my relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about this. And it was telling me that this fire that I had was actually intended for the kingdom and that I needed to develop self-control over it. And then an opportunity came. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? So one day I was in a huge argument with someone, blowout, screaming match. And that person stormed off and I had a second to catch my breath. Then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and spoke to me about who I was and the way that I was acting, even if I was right, <laughs> was telling me that my behavior was wrong. And it was a moment to develop some self-control. So I knew what I had to do. I went back to that person and I said I was sorry. And my apology reignited their anger, and they came out after me. And I stood there silent. And I said I was sorry again, and I left. That day was a benchmark in my development of self-control, especially when it came to my anger. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about the way that you're showing up in some of your relationships. Or maybe the way you need to make some changes in the way you're living your life. Maybe you've been feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit to get baptized. As Rachel mentioned, we have baptisms coming up. And if you just want more information, there's no uh, forced commitment. You don't have to sign anything. If you just want to know more about what it could look like, we have a class on February 22nd. 
But if we hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit in obeying through submission of our will to God's, our self-control begins to develop and it leaves us reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we need to recognize that power and access it. So it might be easy to assume that Jesus was fully God in moments like the wilderness and in other moments where he did some amazing miracles. So when we have seen healings or demons cast out, it might be easy to look at those moments and say, wow, that's where we're getting to see Jesus fully God. But it's important to know that Jesus tells the disciples that followers of him will get to do even greater things than he did. And that's what we see happen in the lives of the disciples. They performed all kinds of miracles, the same as Jesus, and they never claimed to be God. And then in Acts, they receive power from the Holy Spirit, and they do some pretty incredible things without Jesus even physically being in their presence. See, Jesus didn't do miracles by flexing his God muscles like Thor, but by living in reliance on the Spirit's power. He shows us what real, true human beings walking in the power of the Spirit are capable of. And if we jump to the end of the story that we're reading today in Luke, in verse 14, after Jesus uh, returned to Galilee, so after he left the wilderness and he's heading into Galilee, he has the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes into the synagogue and this is what he says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And the passage goes on. Jesus did what he did by drawing on his connection to the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same power that was on Jesus and then on Peter and Paul and the other apostles is now on you and me, or is at least available to you and me as we, like Jesus, surrender our will to the Father and open ourselves to the Spirit's promptings. And that power is what develops self-control as we take it with us into the wilderness, in difficult situations, in hard conversations, moments where we feel like we're at our weakest. Because as 2 Corinthians tells us, his power is made perfect in weakness. So along with the power of the Holy Spirit, we develop self-control through the wilderness. Now I've definitely met some people who love a good challenge, but the wilderness goes beyond a challenge. The wilderness is where we feel like 
We just don't think we can make it any farther. The Bible describes it as being pressed on every side, but not being completely crushed. Being in incredibly hostile environments, but never being fully abandoned. Being knocked to the ground, but never getting completely destroyed. The wilderness is where you feel like you might not be able to go on any further, but you're not completely dead yet. <laughs> Which means God is doing something. It could be your battle with mental health. It could be a long journey of healing trauma, one step forward, two steps back. It could be family conflict, that you just want to give up on, or it could be feeling incredibly burned out by your job. Hi, that's me. That's the wilderness. And in the wilderness, as we see Jesus in it, it can break down into two ways, tests and temptations. Let's start with the tests. Jesus has heard and obeyed the prompting of the Spirit, and it has led him into a test. Now, the point of a test is to take a measurement of what's been learned, to see where a student is at and expose areas of weakness while highlighting areas of strength. It deepens our capacity for what we can do. A good teacher gives tests. I'm sorry to say that if you are a student. It shows that they care about a student's development. We're tested by the Spirit because of how much God loves us. And it seems contradictory that our pain would actually be loving, but God wants to see us grow, look more like Jesus. It's like a loving parent who has to put a body brace on a child with a crooked spine, the pain is real, but the act is in love and the child's best interest. These tests build our resilience, which develop our self-control. And so, yes, sometimes the Spirit takes us places that we don't choose on our own. And that's hard because we like safety. We like a clear agenda. We want to know where things are going but the Spirit takes us places we don't want to go. And in Acts 14, the disciples even said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom. Why? Because it develops our resilience. It strengthens our faith. It exposes parts of our hearts that don't trust God's goodness. It develops our self-control. Being put into situations that are difficult allow us to be at conflict within ourselves, giving us the opportunity to align our will with the will of God and reshape our character to look more like Jesus. Now are all hardships we face, are they tests? Not necessarily. But what would our lives look like if we saw any difficult situation as a chance to become more like Jesus, for his kingdom to come in us and through us. 
where a custody battle over your kids actually helps you become a better parent. We're setting some difficult boundaries, develop self-control over your people-pleasing, and allows you to love yourself more. Tests are the Spirit's way of moving us forward in our faith journey so that we can continue to grow as self-controlled people of the kingdom. And so if the Spirit tests us, then the devil tempts us. And in the passage, we can actually see that both are taking place at the same time. All of these tests and times of hardship can become the perfect place for temptation. So temptations are moments where we have the opportunity to steer our life in the wrong direction towards sin. Temptations are inevitable. It happened to Jesus. It'll happen to us. And sometimes we like to think that if we live a pure life, if we please God perfectly, if we get it all right, we won't ever see troubles or difficulties, but that's not true. As Jesus was in the wilderness, enduring his own testing, the devil made his appearance, offering Jesus some very sweet temptations. The first one was instant gratification, Make these stones into bread. Now, there's no sin in actually doing that, but the heart behind it is to take matters into your own hands. Ease the pain of hunger. Then the devil tempts Jesus with power. He offers all authority that he has, just if Jesus will worship him. And then lastly, he's tempted with safety. Safety found in stepping towards danger and testing God's limits. I mean, for us, it doesn't really matter what the temptation might be. What's important to know is that at any moment in the wilderness, it can become an opportunity for the devil to tempt us. If you're suffering from loneliness, the temptation might be to move towards an affair or porn. If you're struggling with tight finances, you might be led towards a gambling addiction. Stressful circumstances in our life can lead towards excessive drinking, excessive shopping, an eating disorder, or self-harm. The wilderness can be a time of temptation, a time where the devil sneaks in and draws us into traps that we never wanted in the first place. Jesus knew that, experienced that. And it's even why he put it in the Lord's Prayer. He said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus shows us that we can use the power of the Spirit to cultivate self-control and lead us out of temptation. We need to allow the Spirit to keep our wilderness from turning into temptations that lead us to sin. But that's not all Jesus was working with to keep from sinning. Because sometimes our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Jesus also used some practical tools to keep himself aligned with God, his heart, and his his bigger plan. 
And that's why we develop self-control through knowing God and his plan. So even though we've got the Holy Spirit working in us, sometimes that might not feel like enough to keep us from falling into the wrong path during a test. And that's why Jesus used the practical tools to welcome the power of the Holy Spirit, to focus on the power of the Holy Spirit in the time in the wilderness. And so the first thing he did was he used scripture. If you're struggling with a test to not become sin, we see that Jesus used his knowledge of God revealed through scripture to fight the enemy. Every response in defense was a quote of scripture. And in 2 Timothy, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible's not just simply words, but there is power within them. And it reveals to us a picture of who God is and the life he longs to see us living filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That picture gives us hope and assurance that the wilderness season will end and we'll be able to stand on the other side stronger, self-controlled, filled with life and direction. Jesus also used fasting. So to fast is to give up a craving of the body because you have a need in the spirit. Fasting is giving up something that the flesh wants to gain something that the spirit needs. Jesus used fasting as a spiritual discipline to draw himself closer to God in a time of testing and temptation. And that is something people, um, they're doing in the season of Lent. As Rachel mentioned in the announcements, Ash Wednesday is this coming Wednesday. And it's a time where we use fasting to focus in on the things that God's doing in our lives. And if you want to learn more about fasting, I really encourage you to come to our Ash Wednesday service um, because we'll talk about more of it there. But ultimately what Jesus is doing is he's using spiritual practices as a tool to access the power of the Spirit during a test to prevent falling into sin from temptation. So fasting is a great option. But you could also try some silence. You could try solitude. Those are, that's a great one if you're an extrovert. Meditation for scripture, meditation with scripture. You can Sabbath. You can lean into community. So for me personally, as I found myself in a wilderness season, I've had to lead heavily on community, and I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of great friends, but I have friends in my life that I call my close-up friends, and these are the people that know every detail of my life. They, have, they can ask me anything about anything, and I will be honest with them. These are the people, this is the community that when I find myself in the wilderness, they're the ones that I call because I need help. And so not long ago, I text a friend. I'm like, are you available? I need some encouragement. And she called me immediately. I'm crying, and she starts telling me about who God's made me to be. She starts telling me about the love that God has for me. And she reminds me of who I am and the calling that God's placed on my life. Now, I'd love to say that that 
pushed me through the rest of the way in the wilderness, but it's really like a glass of water in the desert, like a boxer in a match going to the corner and then their coach kind of cleaning up some wounds and reminding them to watch out for the left hook and, and just stay focused on, on the things that really matter, the key fundamentals of the fight. That's what community does for us. And when we're in the wilderness, we often want to withdraw. We often want to be alone. We don't want to be a burden to others. We don't want to talk about it again. But community is a key factor for us as we're walking through seasons in the wilderness. All of these practices are a means to guide us back towards who God is and his plan for us that we might know how much he loves us and wants to see us flourishing as we walk in the Spirit. And that's exactly why Jesus was able to access or exercise deep self-control while sitting in court as an innocent man. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. So as we continue to choose the things that are important to God, the power of the Holy Spirit will empower us to develop self-control in each of our own lives as we navigate our own wilderness seasons. And then, like Jesus, we get to be a light for the world where his character is shining through us and we get to bring others along with us. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we transition to ministry time. And so ministry time is um, it's a part of every service that we do where we just take a minute to hear from the Holy Spirit. It's the things we talked about this morning. Where the Holy Spirit has maybe been speaking to you about things in your own life or highlighting some people, some places. Zena mentioned there may be someone in your life um, in worship. She mentioned that there might be someone in your life that you're needing to seek forgiveness those are moments where the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and we get the opportunity to hear and obey. And so in ministry time, we just like to take a minute and engage with the Holy Spirit. So however you feel comfortable, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to open your hands, if you want to sit down, if you want to raise your hands, you can do whatever is most comfortable for you. And I am just going to invite the Holy Spirit to meet with us this morning. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And we recognize that we can't change ourselves. We can't change ourselves without you. And you know everything that we need to become more like Jesus. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, would, would you empower us with courage to take some next steps 
And I feel like there's some of us this morning and, and you're not sure that you hear the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that anyone here this morning that thinks they don't hear you, I pray that you would make it incredibly clear to them. And I believe that you hear the Holy Spirit more than you think that you do. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help them to know that it's you. And then there's others of us here this morning where I think that you feel like the Holy Spirit hasn't been active. You feel like your faith has kind of, it's, it's like dulled out. And so there's an invitation for you to step back into the power of the Holy Spirit, to be anointed, to hear the Holy Spirit, and to step out in faith and do the things the Holy Spirit's asking you to do. And so if that is you this morning, I'd like to specifically pray over you if you want to hold your hand out to receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come? There is power in your presence, Jesus. The scripture teaches us that we get to have access to your power when we become followers of you. And so I pray that you would pour that power out on those of us this morning that are wanting more. You're not going to leave us high and dry. That's not who you are. So would you pour out your spirit on us? People that are longing to see you move in their life, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Like flames in acts. May we be people of the kingdom that bring the power of the spirit with us everywhere we go, in the grocery store, at the line picking up our kids. And then I believe there's others of us this morning that you're not so sure about this faith thing. But if it comes with really cool superpowers, you're maybe in. And so if that's you this morning, all you have to do is tell Jesus you're in. Invite him into your life and let him lead the way. And so if that's you, I want you to pray, Holy Spirit, would you come into my life? Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. Help me to follow you. Others of us are in the wilderness right now. And when I said you're not dead yet, you felt that. But that means God's not done. And so Holy Spirit, for those of us here this morning that feel like we just can't go on, would you give us what we need for one more step? Would you give us that one glass of water in the desert? And then lastly, I think that there's others of us here this morning, and we hate to talk about this, but temptation has got the best of you. The wilderness is hard, it's hard to move forward, and the temptation has gotten the best of you, and there is an open invitation of repentance. You can change your path forward. And you can do that alone with the Lord this morning, but I would even challenge you to come up and get prayer and pray with someone in repentance. I'm going to invite the ministry team to come forward. So this is our prayer ministry team. These are our trained folks that want to pray along with you. So wherever you find yourself this morning, 
whether it's needing more of the Spirit, whether it's needing someone to come alongside you as you're in the wilderness, or whether it's you want healing, physical healing, whatever God is doing in your life this morning, there's an opportunity for prayer. So we're gonna continue to worship and I would encourage you to continue to engage with Jesus this morning.